With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. is uh, you've got some maybe some people that are looking to get off the ship I mean it was a short ride but it was a bad one <laughs> yeah I know I know what you mean um, 
yeah, you kind of you, you kind of wonder um, who's going to be next. I mean, you, you hate, know, you hate um, to call them rats. Rats bound in the sinking ship, but I mean, <laughs> I don't know that's the case. I mean, uh, a lot of my, my uh, down here in Louisiana, we're the last bastion of conservative Republicans. I mean, as long as a guy's got an R by his name, anything goes. But, um, you know, I feel like um, the hope of, of, a, of a Trump presidency is is pretty well dead as far as him being able to make any kind of significant change. Um, uh, you know, on behalf of the people. But, I mean, no one really thought he would. I think a lot of people that supported him really just thought he would hold the place, beat Hillary, and then maybe we'll have somebody better come along in uh, 2020, possibly a Larry Sharp. <laughs> yeah, that would that would certainly be um, something worth thinking about. Um, but you know, he's, I, he's I a very believe... eloquent, articulate guy. Oh yes, absolutely, um, very much so. Yeah, I, and he I, came in I second in the vice it. presidential. He came in second in the vice presidential uh, uh, voting process at the at the, uh, at, the um, at the convention in 2016. I missed 46 percent of the votes for um, vice president went to him, so that that has that should help his candidacy a, a bit in 2020. Absolutely. I know we're getting ahead Absolutely. of ourselves. Is he actually is he is he uh, declared a candidate for president yet, or is he just strictly going running uh, for governor no. right now? He's running for governor, and um, several people have told me that uh, on uh, Facebook and several other places, he has said he's not thinking about 2020 right now. He's strictly um, focusing on the race for governor in New York, and that's probably a very good strategy. I I can't think right. of a better way uh, to, to run at this point. Um, and, of course, we have a lot of questions for Larry soon as Andy gets here, um, we'll bring Larry on. But, you know, getting back to what you said about um, Donald Trump and that he would be a placeholder, I was talking to a couple of Donald Trump supporters today, and you're finally starting to see a break in these guys who, up to now, they it, Trump could have murdered a baby on live TV and they would have supported that. They would have, they would have said, well, he had his reasons and that. But now you're starting to see a break with the Scaramucci thing, um, uh, with with all the other things that have been going on. And they're saying, you know, maybe this isn't all it's cracked up to be. Maybe, you know, we need to start thinking about somebody else in 2020. And so, see, you I, know. As, as bad this, as that is, see, as as bad a, 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 as that is for a GOP guy, I mean, I can't even imagine Trump letting that happen. I mean, I mean, how can they? I mean, the incumbent not get the nomination? I can't believe anyone would run against him. That's now, if Trump actually thinks that's going to happen, don't you think he'll switch to independent before he even runs? I mean, that really makes um, things interesting. Probably. Um... But more than more than likely, what Trump is going to do is exactly what he did the other night in his speech when Robert Mueller, um, the information was released that he had started the whole grand jury proceeding 
Trump will go on the offensive, um, you know, because that's what he does best. Trump is great at going before a live audience and, and telling people, what you just heard is a lie. They're just trying to distract you and to get you to believe something that isn't true. And he's great at that. And the reason he's great at that is because he has to do that all the time. He's constantly having to defend himself. And, <laughs> and that's not good. You know, when you look at the speech he gave the other night, and you and you listen to what he was saying about how, you know, they couldn't beat us at the ballot box, so now they're going to try to beat us in some other way. I mean, Barack Obama gave the same talking points in several of his speeches back when he was president, when when he was embroiled in all these scandals. So you know, it's it it's a it's a tried and true way to get your base all riled up against the system. And I'm all for being riled up against the system, but not to prop up Donald Trump, who in my mind is just... Well, not to prop up the system. When the system gets you riled up against the system to prop up the system, then you're not quite riled up in the right direction. You know, the system (laughs) is... is, is, As long as it's a Republican on the other side of the thing, I mean, you know, it's GOP, you know? And... uh, and so what we got to have, this is, I think the Trump experiment or the Trump presidency has shown the validity of a run-indy um, type movement, the, you know, the necessity of a run-indy type movement, so you can actually throw all those people out. And you see Justin Amash. I don't know if you watch Justin Amash's uh, Facebook page or anything, but he um, he's been yeah. sort of uh, speaking out about the problems with the two-party system, and he's in it. So, I mean, I think is, you know, I like the way he's pointing to the fact that we have to have a new party in the leadership of Congress in order to get anything done. And, um, and see, I think that's what's really what Trump's running into, along with a lot of other problems he's got. But uh, anyway. Yeah, well, um, you know, when, we, when, when, the, when the two transcripts came out of Trump's uh, phone conversations with the president of Mexico, and Malcolm Turnbull of Australia, the prime minister, it was, uh, the, you know, the Trump people, basically their response to that was, well, I don't care about any of that. He's getting things done. He's the only one getting things done. And when you ask him to show, show me what he's getting done, you know, one guy sent me this thing. It was an email, and it was a report card of all the things that Trump has gotten done since he's been president, and it was just one thing after another listed, but there were no links to show that he actually did that, and when I when I pressed the guy for the links, of course, he couldn't provide them, and he said, well, I don't have time to argue with you. If you can't search for the links yourself and figure out that he's done that, then I, then I can't help you, and I said, well, I'm not the one making those claims. You are. So if you want me to, well, I don't care what you believe. I know what Trump's doing. <laughs> response to that was, I'm sorry that I asked you to do something that you're incapable of doing. And, of course, he didn't like that. But, uh, you know. <laughs> well, yeah. So it, it's I think fun. That, but, yeah, um, I mean, I wonder what would have happened if, say, you know, what, for instance, if you go back to day one when um, – the House Republicans wanted to 
get rid of the oversight committee. You remember the first day they came back in, they tried to get rid of the oversight committee? And that, to me, yeah. I, I think you know, they'll never live that down. But, you know, what if, if Trump hadn't been there? They would have gotten rid of the oversight. What if it was uh, President – who was the a guy running against him that had traction? He didn't, he didn't, none of them even had traction. He beat everybody's doors off in the, in the GOP. But say it was President Rubio. They'd have changed the uh, – they got rid of the House Oversight Committee day one. Yeah, and there's some other stuff that they'd have done along the way. So, no, no. It's interesting to see yeah, well, you know, the whole Trump factor. Yeah, well, Andy Craig is with us now. Andy, how are you tonight? Oh, doing good, doing good. Uh, running around, had to run a little bit late here, but uh, how, how are y'all doing? That's all right. We're good. Hey, Andy. We're good, and we're ready to we're ready to bring on our guest tonight, who is Larry Sharp, who is running for governor of New York in 2018, and he says he's got some thoughts for us on all the Trump stuff we've been talking about leading up uh, to his appearance. So I'm going to bring Larry on now and uh, let him give us some thoughts. Uh, good evening, Larry. How are you tonight? Hey, how are you? Uh, good to uh, hear from you guys. I'm glad you have me on here from the uh, great state of New York. Hey, Larry. Hey. Thanks for coming. Can you guys hear me? So, yeah, we can oh, hear yeah, you great. So, um, Excellent. So let's hear what you have to say about what we've been discussing. Well, I think there's uh, Trump and Obama had two things in common, and that was hubris. Both of them thought because they're the smartest guys in the room, they can show up and change everything right away. You notice both of them have had a very tough first year. Um, Trump's going to have a very tough first year, and Obama had a tough uh, first year. Regardless of their party, they both thought they're super smart. They can walk in and change things. And neither of them have done a good job of it. They, they fell for the uh, the victor's disease. I always win, so I always win. But if you notice, years before, two presidents who got their agenda pushed forward, Bill Clinton and George W. Bush, because both of them were governors. They'd already, they'd already fallen down as governors and realized you can't just walk in and get stuff done. You have to do it methodically to know what you're doing. So both Clinton and Bush, again, Democrat, Republican, were able to be successful, while both Obama and Trump were, were both able to uh, fail in their first years. It was about hubris more than anything else. Well, thank you for reminding yeah. us about Obama's struggles in the first year because he was so successful. The, the, you know, in his later presidency, I'd say no one yeah, even he, remembers it that. It took him a long time. to. to if you remember, in the beginning, he struggled. Remember, he was fighting all the time. It was very divisive, same as, as Trump. Because when guys think you know everything, they walk right in the door and think, I'm super smart. Everyone will just do what I say. But again, this, this does not matter party. If you look at Clinton and Bush, both of them, their first couple years, they got a lot of good stuff done. They got their stuff. I shouldn't say good. They got their stuff done because they knew how to do it. They learned it as governor. That, that's an interesting yeah. uh, uh, point about Clinton and Bush both being governors, whereas you know, obviously, Trump had never been in government before. Yep. Obama basically got elected to the Senate and immediately started running for president. Absolutely. Um, so neither of them had real government executive experience. And to be forward, you know, even Donald Trump, uh, most of his work is in real estate in New York, and that is really a lot about being a bully. I don't right. mean it to be <laughs> negative, but I'm just telling you the truth. If you know New York City real estate, it's a lot about being a bully. 
and it's that's sharp elbows business for sure. Yes, so that, that's an issue right there. So the next thing to consider here is I don't think Donald Trump is going to run in 2020 at all, regardless of what happens. I don't see him running at all in 2020. I don't, I don't see him running for two reasons. One, he may lose. And he doesn't want to go from a victory to a loss, so he'll find a reason to not run. Not just that, he's not being successful. He's not getting done what he wants, and he's accustomed to getting what he wants. He wants to say, do X and make X happen, because often in the private sector, that's how it works. And if it doesn't work, you fire someone until you get the person who does what you want to get done. He doesn't get that to happen in government. He's going to become frustrated, and he's going to find a reason not to run in 2020, whatever that is. He'll find a reason. That's uh, interesting. Mike, according to the New York Times, Mike Pence is having some similar thoughts along those lines and trying yep. to already set himself up to, of course, you know, he had to jump out and deny it. But it, it's really true, the observations they've made about him. You know, he's going to Iowa. He's speaking in New Hampshire. He's doing the things that you usually would do um, as, as groundwork for a campaign like that. Um, Absolutely, because if I mean, he it, loses – now, that means Trump is a failure. So Trump has to find a reason to step down and then ensure Pence wins because then he wins mm-hmm. vicariously through Pence. <laughs> so do, do, you think he'll, uh, do you think he's going to make it for four years, though? I mean, do you think there's any chance that we could see either impeachment or kind of a, re- or a resignation for whatever reason? Either there, is, or there absolutely is a chance of resignation. There's zero chance of impeachment. He's not going to be impeached. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump is not going to accept that to even happen to himself. So if it gets close to impeachment, and it might, I think that's possible that they may start walking down that road. If they walk down that road, Trump will, will step down. The odds are he'll step down, though, in year three. And this is going to sound crazy, right. but I'm going to tell you it'll be, it'll be within his year three because by the Constitution, you can only be president for 10 years. So if Pence takes over in year one or two, he won't be able to run for reelection in 2024. But if he uh, takes over in year point. three or four, well, he'll be able to run for re-election. Yeah. Do you think that Pence and Trump? Do you think Pence and Trump have any kind of like common philosophical bond, or, or even a friend, uh, or like a, you know friendship that would think to make Trump care about Pence in any kind of way? It's not a. I don't think it's a friendship issue. It's it's an image issue. I mean, Pence was the savviest guy in the room. Everyone thought Pence was a fool, and Pence was actually the smartest guy in the room. I mean, Pence is the guy who got to become vice president. He's set up to be president. He's more popular than ever. He wasn't a popular governor. I mean, he might have lost if he would run for governor again. So he took a, yep. a failing campaign, a failing career, and he knocked it out of the park. So whether you're a Pence fan or not, well done to Pence for his, his savvy. I mean, that's really great. And I don't know if, if Donald Trump actually cares other way for Pence. That, that I don't know. But I do know Pence is the right guy for Trump because Pence doesn't fight Trump. And Trump likes that. He likes people who don't fight him. And so if Pence loses, though, because Trump has tied his, uh, his wagon to Pence, if Pence loses in 2020, it makes Trump look bad. So I think there's a vested interest in Pence winning in 2020. So, um, right. speaking of, of Trump's background in, in New York, as, we, as we've got I, – I, I've got to say, you, you definitely have that New York accent going. I love it. <laughs> I do. But, uh, you got to remember, my governor, my president, and me, we are all men from Queens. <laughs> hey, so that that's, uh, that's all in the hood. To, We're all in the same hood, all of us. Is, um, is what you're doing there running for, for governor in New York and how that's going. I mean, uh, uh, 
you know, I guess just tell us a little bit about about that now that you you've announced and kind of what your your plans are moving forward uh, uh, for the this is the 2018 election, right? It's fall 2018. Absolutely, I'm starting early on purpose, and I'm trying to show libertarians that you can run a campaign as a libertarian and still run a good campaign and be effective. In fact, you can actually win. And the issue here that we have to think about is, you know, most of the time the third party is the wasted vote. And you always say that. Don't vote for the, the third party. It's a wasted vote. In a state like New York, the Republican is the wasted vote. This state is so blue, the Republican can't win. So why would you vote for a Republican in my state, right? In other states, it's the opposite. Democrat can't win. Why'd you vote for a Democrat? It doesn't make any sense. And how do I know it to be true? Because right now, Cuomo is at his lowest approval rate he's ever been at. He is not doing well at all. And where are all the Republicans jumping to, uh, to fight him? They're not. There's none. In fact, if you go to Wikipedia now, it's me and him. There's no one else announced. The biggest announcements now have been other Democrats trying to primary him, not Republicans. The reason why is they know there's simply not enough Republicans registered in New York State who will show up and vote Republican. They can't win. Whoever they show up is going to be a sacrificial lamb. So no one wants to do it. I get it. If I was them, I'd think the same way. So the Republican in this case is the wasted vote. Who could they vote for? Well, they could vote for a libertarian who actually has the values of the Republicans and the Democrats they were supposed to have. They actually don't have. Democrats are supposed to be for freedom. They're not. They're supposed to be for ending a drug war. They're not. They're supposed to be for uh, not fighting overseas wars. They're not. Republicans are supposed to be for small business. They're not. They're supposed to be for lower taxes. They're not. And that's not how it is in New York. So we have a chance because of that. That's the message I'm pushing, and I'm finding people are hearing it. But more importantly, people across the country are hearing it because I'm talking about building something that is going to last more than just my campaign. I'm trying to be a beacon for people to look at so they can see how to run a campaign. I'm out raising money. I'm doing videos. I'm building out others. I, my, my campaign right now has six executives and 100 vetted uh, uh, volunteers and about 150 still waiting to be vetted. And out of those, most are not New Yorkers. And I'm okay with that because I'm trying to build this across the state. When they see how I build infrastructure, when they see how I campaign and raise money, this will show libertarians how to do it in every other state. New York is, as you know, a very democratic state. If I make any impact here, if I win or make any impact, that shows the rest of the country – you know, we can win in South Dakota. We can win in Ohio. We can win in Washington State. So it's bigger than just me. Well, I, I love that, man. And that's um, I, I understand where you're coming from there with the dynamic and it being a, a deep blue state. I when I ran for Congress last year, mm-hmm. um, it, I, I live in Milwaukee, and it's such a deep blue district that the Republicans yes. literally just run anybody. Yes, exactly. Um, and so I feel like there's there 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 is. An opportunity, a strategic opportunity here for where the liber- libertarians could become the opposition party in some of these areas that are so overwhelmingly, you know, they just they hate Republican, the national Republican brand so much there in New York, and it's the exact, you know, in in deep red states they hate the national Democratic yes. brand, the Nancy Pelosi, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton brand so much that that there, it becomes an effective one party state. Yes, so that's. that's that's an opportunity for there to be another opposition party. And, and that is throughout say, all of the country, you know, yeah. and I want people to realize that. Every state has at least 10, 20 districts like that, at least. Some have 30, 40 right. districts like that. It's all over. 
and you can pick a district that is simply so lopsided in one way, and you can become the opposition. And this is where, this is where we can begin to win. Look, we can turn districts, we can turn states gold. And once we turn one state gold, we can turn the country gold. We can actually make this happen. The issue to remember is the Democrats and Republicans actually aren't parties anymore. Those days are over. They're actually tribes. And people simply identify with one tribe or the other and join that tribe and hate the other tribe. And that's it. That's the case. How can you vote for the evil tribe? Whatever you are. If you're, if you're a Democrat, you can't vote for Republicans. They're evil. If you're a Republican, you can't vote for Democrats. They're evil. But the libertarians aren't. We have the opportunity to say we're not evil, we're different, and we retain some of the actual values that these parties are supposed to have and don't. We do that well, and we can get votes. Uh, Sounds like a great strategy. Absolutely. Now, many of you probably heard about my my seven-year plan, and the seven-year plan includes this type of thing. People will often say, well, Larry, why in the world are you running for governor? Why don't you run for something local so you can win? Don't you care about local? And yes, I do tremendously. But the issue we have to remember here is most of the press goes to the top of the ticket, whether that's governor or president, whatever the case may be. And, but the odds of victory are actually at the lower level. So we have to take the, the press that we get at the upper level and shine the light on the other people who are running. We have to shine the, the light on the, on the down ticket. If we do that well, the down ticket will get some of that press and win. At the top of the ticket, you need charisma. At the bottom of the ticket, you need relationship. So you get your most charismatic people, throw them at the top of the ticket, and the people who are connected, relationship, at the bottom of the ticket. We will win in 2018 and 2019 and even in 2020. And remember, we don't have to turn the entire state gold to turn it gold. All we need in most states is about six, seven, eight people. If we get six mm-hmm. or seven libertarians in any house, we can run the House because we are the voting bloc. And we can actually, when right. Democrats say, hey, let's put this, uh, this, this, this bill up, and we want to help out X, Y, and Z. And by the way, let's throw on top of that a uh, you know, big tax increase. Libertarians go, whoa, 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 whoa. Take away the tax increase, and we'll vote for it. Boom, voting block. Republicans say, we want to do this great thing, do this thing, do this great thing, but we want to make sure that you know, we throw on top of that, gays can't get married. Okay, good. Get rid of the gays can't get married piece, and boom, we're good. And all of a sudden, we can actually make things happen because we're a voting block, and that's what we need. We can run a state with 10%, 5% of their house. Once we do that, the country sees that we can actually govern lower taxes, take away government, Make government smaller, and the world doesn't end. It's not the zombie apocalypse. They believe that now because they've been told that by everybody in the two-party system. Once they see it's not true, they'll vote for us at the upper level also. That's when we win at the federal level. That's why it's a seven-year plan. Sounds brilliant. Have you – this is something I found very interesting recently. I wonder if you'd kind of observed it and had any thoughts on how this plays into the, the sort of strategy you're talking about. And that's what happened in, in France here recently with Emmanuel uh, Macron. Yeah, he came um, from nowhere. Came came from nowhere, uh, and he had been in you know, what's called the Socialist Party there, but mm-hmm. the, you know people flip out. That's basically their equivalent of the Democrats, which make yep. it out of what you will. But it's their big center-left major party. He came out of them um, and positioned himself as – I mean, he's definitely not a libertarian. I would not call him a libertarian, but he, he positioned himself as – um, 
the 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 kind of pro relatively pro market, but also very uh, socially liberal uh, in, in that sort of center way. And he came out and he wiped out both of the other major parties. Um, not only did he get elected, they also the way it works in France, a few months later, they have a legislative election right after the presidential election, and they swept the legislature too. Um, and and literally, this this party uh, on, on Marsh is called it had been founded and came out of nowhere in like two years. Um, and we've seen this happen uh, in other. We've seen a lot of, of bubbling up of well, his opposition, party, uh, his opposition, up, with uh, third opposition to do party systems internationally. And I kind of feel like is, is that how, how does that play into what we could potentially see here in the United States, where we have the most entrenched two-party system? Yes. I think it's fair to say. Sadly, do the, I don't do think it's, I don't think it's going to affect us that much at all. To be forward with you, um, it's not who we are. We, we don't have a parliamentary system. We never have. Third parties have never been a b- really big deal for us for any long period of time. Uh, the odds are in the as we move forward, what we're going to grab, I hope and I think, is we hopefully will grab people who simply have no hope. If you look at the biggest voting bloc in America today, it's those who don't vote. So in New York State, about 60% of people who can vote don't vote. So that's the biggest voting bloc. In 2016, across the country, 90 million people didn't vote. That would have won any election. So if we can get those people out, here's the issue that we have as libertarians, right? And this happens all the time, and it happened even with Gary Johnson. You know, if you poll at 10%, when you get into the actual vote, you get half, they get 5%. Why? It's politics of identity, right? I believe I'm a D or an R, whatever I am, and I feel that. I like this libertarian guy. He or she, he or she they're great. I go into a poll, and I want to do it. But part of me just goes, nah, I'm really, if I'm in New York, I'm really a Democrat, a hit Democrat. Right? If I'm in, say, Wyoming, ah, I'm a Republican, I hit Republican. So half of the people get lost on the way once they get in there. But if I can get somebody out of their bedroom or off their couch and they show up to the polling station, they're voting for me because I got them out of the polling station. That's what happened with Barack Obama in 2008, and that's what happened with uh, Bernie Sanders d- during, the, um, uh, during the primary. The problem is the Democrats set the system up to where no one can win except for Hillary. But if they actually had a fair system, then Bernie would have won also. Both Bernie and also Trump. But the Republicans had a fairer – the Republicans had actually had a fairer primary system because Trump did the same thing. He got people out who weren't going to vote. When you get people who aren't – you get those people to show up, man, they vote. And that's what we want to do. We want to focus on the people who are unhappy with – unhappy with the left and the right, and those who usually don't vote. If we get those out, we can win. But some of us remember, since we're a third party, very often we're going to win with 35%. And that's what happened in France, too. Macron didn't win with 51%. He won with 30-something. And then, of course, right. you move on, and then people just kind of come to you. So we're not going to win with 51%. Happens. We're going to win sure. with 35%. Well, that's, that's yeah, well, interesting historical example is... Um, Particularly if you're running for governor, is, is Jesse Ventura? Um, yes. You know, was going up against a couple of unpopular uh, kind of both very establishment Republican and Democratic candidates. Um, you know, a, a month out, he was polling about 10 percent. He got into the debate. Which they tried to keep him out, of course, but he got into the debates, made a big splash. Um, 
you know, once you're the third man on the stage, you're, you know, I mean, in New York, it might be more crowded. They have other third parties there. But once you get on the stage kind of with the incumbent and get over that low viability hump, and he, he had the name recognition enough, and then he won with, I believe, it was 37%. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, that's So, yeah, we're of, not going to win with 51%. That's not going to happen. New York State is also a plurality state. So when I win as governor, it'll be at 34 35%. It won't be 51%. The, but, uh, but Larry, at least I, you're gonna win. I, I, yeah. Say again. I have a. I have a question. I said, but at least Go ahead, you're gonna Jeffrey. win, Larry. That's yes. the important part. Absolutely. Look, I'm running this thing to win. That's why I'm doing this. I wouldn't run if I didn't think I could win. That's why. Look, when I ran for the VP last year, I ran that to win too, and I almost did. And I'm running this one to win. You really so, did almost win. And you know, and I've I've looked up your. Um, your um, your page that mm-hmm. uh, you know your your business now is this your business this um, Neo Sage Forum absolutely that's your primary business uh-huh. that is correct is I you, actually have I have two businesses go ahead oh uh, and what what do y'all do you do consulting for businesses like a like absolutely a, you know, going and turn people people's business around help them get their business work, going successful I work usually with people who are in the law finance or tech and helping them to communicate somehow better, whether that's going to be leading better, selling better, marketing better. And most of those are larger companies like Estee Lauder and, and companies like that, larger companies usually. But they're also smaller companies too, accounting firms, law firms, stuff like that. I also consult with lawyers. I try to help them to – large law firms don't need me because they have specialists, but small law firms don't have specialists who know how to talk to juries. So they'll use me to help talk to a jury. Lawyers are very good talking to each other. But when they talk to juries, they need a special type of communicator, and they often use me for that. In addition, small business owners who fall into a trap of, I'm a good doer, but I'm not a good business person, I'll help them to grow their business. So I do a lot of that kind of consulting. I also did a classroom work. I taught before at Yale and Columbia's Graduate School of Business, here in New York City also, uh, Baruch and uh, John Jay. I do some veterans transition coaching, so I help veterans transition into the civilian world. So basically a lot of coaching, teaching, training, getting people to change their businesses and be better communicators and also implement change. This is how I know about that hubris issue. This is how I know about Trump's personality. I deal with a lot of heavy hitter personalities. I understand how they think, and that's why I say that stuff. My forum is a way of putting that online. The forum is a – NeoSage forum is a place where you can go and you get most of my classes via video. You can just watch videos, learn. I go online once a month and talk to people, answer questions people moving new businesses, people trying to get a new job, a career, whatever the case may be, I'll assist them. And I'm doing that on purpose. I need people to go online and do that so that I can take off and be a full-time campaigner as of December. Otherwise, I have to spend time trying to make money and then still trying to campaign. I can't win governorship that way. When I ran for VP, I literally shut my business down for a couple of months so I could run, so I could be a full-time campaigner and win. And if I'm going to do this for governor, I need to shut my business down. So I can't do my consulting. I can only do the website, and that's why I built the website for that purpose. This has been in works for over a year. I didn't do this willy-nilly. As I said, I planned this. I want to show people how it can be done, and I want to be a full-time employer as a, a full-time campaigner as of December, and that's why I have the Neosage form. Fantastic. You uh, remind well, I, me of, our, of, of one I, of our guests, uh, um, Dr. Feldman used to come on. He had the same kind of, of uh, positive – energy you know where he knew he was going to win so thank you so much for running and uh, we're glad to have you here what, what were you going to ask joe yeah um i was i was going to ask a question that i that i've heard from a few people online 
Um, so you're running for governor of New York, and a lot of people have said to me, I love Larry Sharp. He, he really um, has the libertarian message down pat, and he knows how to sell it. But they say, when I tell people about Larry Sharp, they say, I don't know who he is, and I'm not voting for somebody that I don't know. How do you plan to get people to know who you are? Yeah, it's a great question, and there are three ways of doing it. The first one is money. That's the first thing. Uh, I'm already, I've already raised over five figures already. I put my own money into this campaign, too. I'm on my way to being able to raise, I hope, six figures in the first 30 to 45 days. I want to raise a million dollars by January, and if I can do that, that will kick me off into $5 million in 2018. If I can raise $6 million, that is how I'll do it, literally with the cash that will buy me the things that I need to get my message out there, the marketing, the, the bus tours, the advertisements, the billboards, all the things required to actually win. It takes cash. It takes money. Uh, luckily, I'm not afraid of asking for it, so that's a good thing. So um, yeah. that's that step one is raising money. But I'm doing that also on purpose because I want libertarians to know it's okay to raise money. We're really bad at that. And I want to show people it's good to raise money. It's, it's how we win. The big boys do it. We can too. And if people believe we're going to make some impact, they'll give. If they think it's the same old thing, they won't. So that's step one. But step two, that is getting organizations to see that I care about their issues organizations will allow me to speak there, and then they will help support me. Organizations, those are very good things. I'm about endorsements, but not of people. I don't care if people endorse me. I care if organizations do because those represent more bodies. So finding the right organizations will also help. Most of them for me will be business organizations. They know me. I speak their language. They should say yes. They'll get more bodies into my world to hear about me. And the third thing is media. We have to make sure we're both on social media and traditional media. One viral video is all we need, which is why I'm going on all the podcasts. Like, I'm going on your show. I'm going to every show I can go on. And people say, Larry, why are you going on all these little shows? You know, some of the shows are going to small. Some are big. Some are in New York. Some are not. It doesn't matter because the more media I get, the better off I'm going to be, meaning someone's going to find me. People are going to say, Larry Sharp, who's that? They're going to, they're going to type in Larry Sharp. And if Larry Sharp has six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve different things on Google, they're going to go, this guy's real. This guy's someone I'm going to talk about. This, this is somebody I can actually believe in. The social media aspect, I mean, we've proven this, right? I mean, Donald Trump does it through Twitter. Uh, Bernie Sanders did it through Facebook, right? Donald Trump won the Twitter wars. Bernie Sanders won the Facebook wars. And years before, Barack Obama, he won the email wars. So I have to win the video wars. Right now, no one's doing videos as well as I'm doing them. I hope they never do. So that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to get my <laughs> videos out because videos are the things that make people feel like I'm talking directly to them. They get it. They know me. They like me. They'll show others. So those are my three ways. I agree. I, I think that your videos are, are very, you know, I mean, you, you come across very articulate. You know, we can understand what you're saying. You make a very positive impression. You know, Excellent. Just look – Well, excellent. Yep. That is, uh, I love your point about fundraising in particular. I mean, and this is something I've um, tried to to talk about with libertarians too. Is, is you can't. I mean, we run. It's great. We run a thousand candidates. 
Um, but like I said, I was one of the candidates for health, and I'll be honest, it was pretty much a paper campaign. I mm-hmm. I, uh, I put my name on the ballot, and I did interviews when I could, and I, I did a forum with my opponent once, but it wasn't. I didn't have a big organization or anything. Right. And I was shocked when I looked up. We had a hundred and something House candidates, um, and I looked up on the FEC. Well, you know how well did they do fundraising wise? And, like, only 13 of them had even filed reports, including me. And I, I had raised maybe 5000 bucks, most of which went towards ballot access, the rest of my online ads, um, was, I want to say, about 19-something. And there was, there was, I believe, one candidate who had put in uh, self-funded, uh, uh, I believe it was about 40000 But, like I said, it was only 13 of us who had even, out of 100-and-something libertarians who were on the ballot for U.S. House, um, only 13 of us had even raised enough to trigger filing the reports, which I believe is $5,000. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we really, we did, that's something we do have to turn around. Um, Absolutely. And know, there's and a skill was, set to this that we have to yeah. worry about. We, we have a culture, and this is the issue that we have in the party. We have a culture of, I'll do it myself because I'm a rugged individualist. And that's wonderful. However, there are literally hundreds of libertarians in your area who want to help you. They just don't right. know how. And instead of us asking, we think we have to do it ourselves. What we're actually being when we do that is we're being selfish. We should look at it as these people want to help us. Why don't I or you or anyone out there, you hear me, I'm always trying to get people to run, because if you get out there and run – you give them a reason to want to help. You give them a purpose of getting out and helping. Otherwise, they all become Facebook warriors, which Facebook warriors are great, but they're not good enough. I want them, but I also want people going to go out there and shake hands, kiss babies, set up stuff for me, talk about you, etc., etc. You know, people usually don't show up if you say, let's talk about liberty. Then you're going to have a small, you know, meetup. But if you instead talk about Joe running for office and making change in our county, in our state, in our city, in our insert thing here, they go, oh, yeah. And now they want to show up. Now they show up. That that was the night and day different. You know, we have, like I'm sure every county does, we have our local county meetup, and it's a great group, and it's, you know, a couple dozen people, give or take, who will show up, and we have a little social hour once a month. When Gary Johnson came into town, uh, and did his rally, we had 1,300 people packing Serb Hall, which is like the big, it's where all the political rallies happen here in Milwaukee. Um, and that was that was huge. It really is. And that, that also hits your point earlier about why run for the higher offices. Um, yes. You know, but what we have, did not do well last yeah. year, we did not support down ticket well last year. We have to be better. If any of you saw me, I was on uh, a couple of TV shows last year. And every time I was on a TV show, every time I mentioned the down ticket. I said, yes, we care about Gary Johnson. He's amazing. However, there's also other people like Lily Tang Williams running in Colorado, like you know, Richard Lyon running in, in, in uh, Connecticut, like uh, you know, so-and-so running here and there. I brought, I brought up Alex Merced in New York. I brought up other people, and that's what we did not do well last year. We now must do better. Right. Well, and that was, you know – one of the things was we did have, like, I have, um, you know, here, I, that's one of the things I, I feel going into 2018 is I, I want to do right is focus on, you know, we have, um, you know, our, our 
are higher statewide offices. It's not national. You know, there's no presidential election in 2018. Mm-hmm. So we have our statewide ticket running. But here in Milwaukee, we have um, uh, uh, three candidates running for state legislature. One of them, um, I feel, is a very electable candidate. He's a local uh, police officer by the name of Matthew Buffman. Y'all can look him up. He's on Facebook, like the page and everything. Mm-hmm. So send some checks. Uh, but he's. Um, I feel like this is the kind of you know if we get if we really do the groundwork organization we can win this race with 13,000 votes and have a libertarian in this district you know the Democratic incumbent but it's kind of purplish district but not in a, if the Republicans don't run it could be a two-way race or a three-way race mm-hmm. um, but that's the kind of getting on the ground you know we we have we we need the balance we need we need the like you said the spokes spokesman at the top and the um, and the local viable roots in the community kind of candidates running uh, for the local offices. That's what Absolutely. I and what winds up happening is when that guy or gal wins the local level, now once they're actually governing for two or three years, they have the gravitas now to now do the reverse, and now they pump the up ticket two or four years later. Or they become the up ticket, and someone goes behind them, whatever works best for them. So that's why within a couple of years, all of a sudden, now we're going to have a congressman or two, or we're going to have a senator or two. And if we actually have, by 2024, a couple of senators or a couple of uh, uh, a congressmen, watch how all the liberty-minded people come to us all of a sudden. The guys like Amash and the guys like Massey. Those guys aren't coming now. We don't have anything to give them. But when we build an infrastructure where we have three, four, five, six years of ground roots, uh, of grassroots people who know how to talk to the press, who know how to raise money, who know how to set up events, who know how to make a campaign work, and then they have two or three people already there, they come right across, create a voting block, and have power. Of course they would. But here's the most important piece. If one of those people comes over now, they will dominate our party immediately. I don't want that. We have to have a party that has a culture, that has infrastructure, that has homegrown talent, and then they come. And now they join us, not take us over. So uh, that's, that, that, that's one, good. Well, one thing I wanted to ask you about is you're running for governor, but you're also um, you're an at-large member on the national committee. Uh, I am. I've had that right. Yeah, at-large. Um no, no, I'm well, actually where, where a, the, uh, I'm a regional alternate. Oh, a regional alternate. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm sick. Um, so, but this is, that's, that's neat, if I understand right. You came on recently. Um, and, and what's your kind of overall impression of what, where does the national party organization and the national committee specifically um, kind of fit into this overall picture? Because, I mean, I think, Obviously, we do have our we have our, our next convention coming up here in 2018, and that's the kind of the big thing is you know, who's going to be on the national committee and what direction is the party going to go. We're kind of not distracted by the presidential election like we are in the presidential years, um, and so it's kind of an opportunity for us to take stock of of what is the national committee doing right, what could they do better. Everybody obviously wants them to do as well as they can, but what should they be focusing on, and what should they be delivering in terms of you know, making this possible for us to do what we want to do in terms of these campaigns? Uh, wow. Tough question for me to answer. Um, <laughs> I don't, it's a bit open in, but just kind of just your thoughts in general on the national I just, party. I don't really – it's not an issue. It's not an issue. I, I, I'm not asking the LNC for anything. 
Right. I'm I'm not looking to them for leadership or guidance. <laughs> I, I'm neither. I'm, I'm glad they're there, but I, they're not. They're not helping me, hurting me, nothing. They're they're there. Good, awesome. But I <laughs> have to make stuff happen. I'm not going to wait for someone else to make something happen. So fair, fair I, I I don't really have I, I I hope they don't try to stop me. I don't know why they would, but that's all I would care about. That's it. If they don't, if they're like, good, Larry, go. I'm pretty happy. <laughs> Good, Larry. Go, go, Larry. Go, Larry. That's go. It. Yes, I'm that, with that, you. I'm pretty. I'm good with that. Uh, the LNC will do what the LNC does. Doesn't doesn't change what I'm going to do. Well, speaking of which, right, what well, would I, you do if you were elected governor? What was the first most big thing that you think we could get done as a libertarian in New York? Well, it's it's funny you mention that. There's a, a couple of things. The first thing to remember is the first year there will be almost no change in the legislature at all. Almost none. Because I'm going to have a house against me, and I'm not going to fall, as I mentioned before, for the Obama-Trump mistake. I'm going to follow the uh, Bush-Clinton rules. They're much better. I, I realize that I can't come in and all of a sudden make all the changes. It's not going to happen. My first year is going to be heavy, heavy communicate, 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 communicate. I'm going to use the bully pulpit, and I'm going to use what executive orders I can use. So things such as I'm going to use my pardon. And the pardon is a very tough thing to use, and most people, most executives don't use it because it, it can backfire. And mine will backfire, and that's okay. I'm going to have a, a situation to where I will pardon someone or people, nonviolent criminals, every single month. Now, what is going to happen? Some of those people are going to go off and do great things, and some of them are going to make stupid mistakes and be right back in jail. Some of them are going to create victims. And when that happens, they're going to be mad at me and say, Larry, it's all your fault. Governor Sharp, you're a bad guy. You let this guy out. And what I'm going to tell them is this country was built on the idea that a guilty person might go free as long as innocent people don't go to jail. We've forgotten that. I accept this. This is the way it's supposed to be. This is what America is all about. We have to remember something. The government's job is not to enforce justice. It is to stop injustice, and there's a difference. If I have to enforce justice, I must punish everyone to keep everyone safe. No. I'm going to punish injustice. When people do wrong, they get punished. I don't punish everybody because someone might do something wrong. We've lost that, and it's crushing us. Remember something, please. As a general rule, it is very rare that government just takes away rights. Almost always, we voluntarily, eagerly give them up because we're afraid. That mindset has to change. That is a sea change that must happen in America. It hasn't. I'm going to help to make that happen. The second thing is I want to have an office of the repealer, which means we have to start thinking about laws that are on the books that should not be on the books. What, what should we not be – what should we be taxing? Why shouldn't we have – what licenses shouldn't we have? In other words, why do we have, for example, in New York State, why do we have a license for someone to braid hair? Why does that exist? We then ask, why does that exist? If you don't have an answer for it, great. Stop enforcing it. Simply stop enforcing it. Boom, pull everything away from it. That is an executive I can do. I will simply stop enforcing it. That will then show people as they fight over this, this, this license how the world didn't end now that we don't have this license for hair braiding. That means we can repeal it. I have proof that, it, that no one gets hurt. It doesn't matter. Let's let small business grow. Let's have a positive small business environment. If you want to start a hair salon in your neighborhood to build some value in your community, why wouldn't I let you? It's insane. Was that clear? Yes. 
What about the um, what about the percentage? Can, can, can drug offenders uh, vote in New York State in Louisiana? Once you've committed, once you've finished your sentence, you can vote. If you're even if you're a felony drug offender, can drug offenders vote in New York State? Uh, felons, what percentage? no, not felons. Uh huh. Do you know what percentage of New Yorkers too. have been convicted? What percentage of New Yorkers have been convicted of any kind of drug crime? I mean, and then their families, because you're going to get all their votes. That's correct. If you come exactly back strong right. on pardons. If you struck strong one, I'm going to pardon everybody with a drug offense. You need to do the numbers on that. I mean, that could be a lot of people and their families. Yes. However, I don't want I don't want to promise mass pardoning, and there's a reason for that. There's a logical reason for that, and uh, because mass pardoning means all of a sudden I'm going to shove tens of thousands, or hundreds of thousands of people into the workforce overnight. That's I'm asking for trouble. I'm just asking for trouble. Uh, so I would do it over time, which is why I was saying monthly. I would begin to let people out monthly. It, do it, doing something like that, that kind of change, the issue with fast change is quick change makes people afraid, and people who are afraid make bad decisions. So the worry that I have is if I change too fast, and this makes some libertarians upset, but if we change things too fast, people do what they always do. They ask for a strong man to save them. And we actually encourage autocracy when we change too quickly. I do want clear and and obvious change, absolutely, but too fast I'm asking to be thrown out and a strong man to be put in. Now my question is, did you you write that article about change on the Neosage forum? I read something about that today about change. That is correct. I write write all the articles, yep. Okay, yeah, good article. That's important to know how people change and how they're willing to change. And where change is not possible. Absolutely. Yes, 100%. And remember, the most important thing in change is not actually having the plan. It's having the environment. If you trust people to change, they will very often do it. One of the things I've also done is I've been – I've had more than one business, and I've also been an officer in a public company before. And when you go into these, these large organizations, you can't have every answer. It's impossible. And that's what libertarianism is actually about. It's about not thinking that I know what's right for you or right for everybody. It's about creating an environment to where people can make their own decisions and have their successes. The best companies in the world, like the Googles of the world, they do it all the time. They have lots of people go out and do many things. Many of those things fail, but a couple of those things are real home runs. They make lots of money on it, and they're very successful. We have to create the environment to where it's safe to change, expected to change, and innovation is looked upon as a good thing, not a bad thing. You do that, you'll be amazed what people can do. Inspire change. Yes, absolutely. Yes. It's amazing. So, so Larry, I've, so, got a, like, I've got a question. I've got a question oh, sure, here, Larry, from, from, from one of our listeners. Okay. And he, he, he says that um, in... 2015, no, 2014, he ran as a as a candidate for his state legislature as an independent. He said he, he first he tried to run as a Democrat, and he said that the Democratic Party told him he had to raise $150,000 of his own money in order for them to take him seriously. And he said, basically what I told them is, why do I have to raise that? And he said, because they said, because that's what it's going to take to beat the Republican in this district. And he said, well, if I raise $150,000, then the Republicans are just going to raise 200000 If I raise 200000 they're just going to raise 300000 And he said, you can't beat people with money. And so he wanted to know what your thoughts are with that. 
Yeah, you you can't race to the top. That's correct. But there is simply a a minimum amount that's required for victory. Now, I don't know if it was 150, maybe. Um, I don't know what that number is. But I say in my own race, you know, Governor Cuomo already has $20 million in his pocket. I'm never going to outraise him. And your 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 listener is correct. I'm never going to win that battle, right? He's always going to raise more than me, no matter what. I, if I raise 20 million, he will raise 40. Absolutely. The question is, can I get over whatever that tipping point is to where people in my area will be able to know who I am and hear me? Then I have the opportunity to make my message land. It doesn't matter how good your message is if no one hears it. And you have to have enough money to get the message out. Now, maybe they were right. I don't know. But if he made the 150, assume they're correct, he wouldn't have to keep matching. He makes the 150. Now the people hear him. Now he can use his message. Now he can move them. He can win at 150, even if Republican raises 300 or 400. My point is there is a tipping point. And now case of state like mine, New York State, where it's 18 million people, it's millions. In a small uh, district, there maybe has 20, 40, 50,000 people in it. It's probably a whole lot less. Exactly. So smart. So you got to know. So, uh, well, I just go ahead, a Andy. Quick, uh, uh, yeah, kind of question that occurred to me. So um, there in New York, do you have? Is it? Um, do you run as a ticket uh, for lieutenant governor? Do you have a lieutenant governor candidate that you'll be running with, or how does that? I don't even. I know how will that works be looking for one. Yes, um, I have not selected one at the moment, but I'm looking at several already. So I am looking at different candidates, and we'll run together. To we will. Yes. Interesting. Okay, cool. Well, we'll look forward to finding out who that is. It's weird in some states. It's you know that's separate or it's not as a ticket. I'm just wondering how it works there. Oh no, it is separate. But we're yeah. one ticket. Larry, okay. are you a long-time libertarian or are you a recent convert to the Libertarian Party? Um, it's funny. I'm a Gary Johnson 2012 libertarian. Gary Johnson got me into Barn 2012. I was lost. I was. I was actually not very political that much at all. I was lost. I was supporting Ralph Nader because he wasn't Democrat or Republican. And it, hey, you would have man, asked, I did too. <laughs> yeah, you could have asked me what, what the Green Party said for. I couldn't have given you an answer at all. I just would have said, it's not them, so they're good. <laughs> that was exactly how I thought. I couldn't have given you a stance. Um, but when I heard Gary Johnson speak, I thought, you know, this guy is making some sense. But uh, I actually went for the first time ever to actual Libertarian Party meetings, and I realized that the things that I was teaching in my sales and in my leadership courses was actually libertarian thought, which is why I'm, I'm pretty good at getting the libertarian message out because I've been teaching it for 13 years. It's the idea of getting people to want to buy in. Right? When I do my leadership training, I talk about when, when a leader comes to me and says, Larry, my people aren't you – know, they're not innovative. They're not, they're not being – you know, they're not – they show no initiative. I, the last thing I say is, be meaner, central control, yeah. punish them. It's the empower last thing I say. Them, empower them. Empower That's what them I tell them. I say, let them go out there. Let them be free. Let them think. Let them believe that they can do it on their own. Get them to want to own. Get them to want to have ownership. This is the idea of property rights. It's all – I've been teaching it for, for years in sales. I never tell someone, you know, convince them, beat them over the head till they buy. I say, no, show them the value and give them the opportunity to buy. Get them to want to buy in. If they do, they'll give you referrals. If they do, they'll buy more stuff. I've been teaching that for years, and it all made sense to me. So it's what I believed already. It's what I thought, and when I actually heard it, it was very easy for me to be officially a libertarian. I probably was one for years. just didn't know it. 
but I officially joined the party in 2012 as my local party. I think it was Manhattan or Queens. By 2013, I joined the state, and by 2014, I had joined the national. Wonderful. Right. We're, glad, we're very too. glad to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yes. <laughs> so, um, I'll Larry, be 2012 can, Libertarian. Yeah. Second. Larry, how how can folks get in get in touch with you if they want to help with your campaign? Well, the easiest thing to do right now is to go to LarrySharp.com. That's sharp with an E. Remember, E makes it special. You can go there, and there are three things that I need. One is for you to sign up and be a volunteer. I need people to make phone calls, people to help out creating stuff. I need people to, to help me out and, 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 and make what needs to be made. I need that. The second thing you can do is you can just share what you see. If you see my content and you like it, share it. Share it online. Share it on Twitter. Share it uh, on Facebook. But also share it with your friends and family. Tell people that there's a libertarian option in New York. If you know people in New York, tell them I'm running. Share what you know. And the last thing, of course, is donations. If you want to, if you want to pledge, happy to have you. If you can do ten dollars or a thousand dollars or five dollars or fifty bucks, whatever you can do is awesome. If you can do a monthly pledge, that's even easier because now we can now budget better and we know what's going to happen every month. So those three things, any one of those, all three of those, all good. If you want to see what I'm doing, go to my Facebook page, Larry Sharp for New York. All my events are there, and all my videos are there, and all my goodies are there. Wonderful. Well, we do thank you for coming on tonight, Larry, and giving us a little bit of your time. And maybe we'll check in with you again before you get elected, and then after you get elected, we're going to hopefully have you on from your office. Love that. That'd be amazing. <laughs> and thank you All what right, you're well, doing for the Libertarian Party. Thank you what you're doing for your, your community there in New York and for all of those people who believe in freedom and the need to get rid of these uh, two parties. Um, cabal. Let's break the duopoly. Absolutely. Let's break it. Amen. All right, sir. Thanks for coming on. Have a good night. All right, uh, you, you too. Bye. So, um, guys, what do you think? Oh, well, I, I think he's very a, good. I mean, he's the most competent libertarian we've got running for office. Now that we've lost <laughs> Dr. Feldman. Yeah, I Dr. I, Dr. I, I Dr. Feldman was the most competent, really but I haven't thought. I mean, you know what I'm saying? He seems like he, he he gives me the feeling that he could do the job. Right. Yeah. Well, and hey, and, things, uh, and uh, go ahead, Andy. But uh, well, I was just going to say, you know, obviously. Definitely one of the win, always run at the win. Um, but I think the ballot access there in New York will be a potentially a big, you know, pretty big pickup there for the party in terms of uh, the petitioning hurdle it will free us from if he clears it. Because governor is the only well, only office you can qualify for is through running for governor. Um, and so that could be an important victory for the party, too, out of this race. Absolutely. Um, I mean, don't you get the feeling he's going to do well? I mean, he's going to be, he's going to have a, you know, he should be, he should place well in, in New York. I'm sure there'll be some um, Republicans running to spoil him and some <laughs> other third parties. But I mean, don't you think, I mean, do, do we know that it's like a 5% uh, cutoff to get well, in, uh, ballot access? Uh, the ballot access, I believe, is 50,000 vote there in New York for governor. And that's, so that's the. So that's actually not that. Not he, he, you know. I don't want. I don't want to put numbers cap. Larry, Larry, Larry says he's going to win with thirty-something percent. I'm, I'm sure he will. 
Um, but, uh, you know, the in terms of what would qualify for ballot access, it's actually pretty low. So he could he could do modestly well and would uh, clear that hurdle. Yeah, and I think, Andy, also, if he raises the kind of money he's talking about, um, I think he has a very good chance of winning Oh yeah, no. I mean, if he, I mean, he put if he put the right number on it when he said it would take about six million dollars uh, to get the breakthrough where he could, you know, have a, a kind of Jesse Ventura level breakthrough. Um, and that's that's about right for a state as big and uh, expensive as New York is. Um, you know, I mean, that's about a, in most smaller states, that's about what the major party candidates would do for you know, you're talking about like Minnesota, Wisconsin, or Virginia there. You know, six to ten million is probably what the major party candidates would do. But there in New York, it's you know, your your next level. That's a there's more people just in New York City alone than in most states. Um, so that will be yeah. The other thing that will be interesting is uh, you know, seeing Larry as a as a, a New Yorker there in, in the city, uh, local terminology exactly right. But he's there in, in the city. How the what the breakdown is of how well he does there at the city versus in, in upstate New York, because that's one of the starker geographic splits in the country. Because um, you know, if you split if you split New York City off of it, the rest of upstate New York it would actually be a Republican state. Um, but it's just so overwhelmed by uh, the population there in, in the city that it's I think it's something like ten, twelve million are in the in the metro area. But it'll be interesting to just look at the map and see what the what the kind of breakdown is there. It used to be the conventional wisdom that, Repo- that libertarians did better in rural areas, and that used to mostly be the case. But I think we've seen some, I think last year with Gary's results and the other results we saw, we've seen libertarians doing better in blue areas and urban areas. Um, areas that tend to be more democratic. So that's, that's an interesting trend, and I'll, I'll be watching. I'll be looking at the, the map data afterwards to see how that played out. Yeah. I wonder if there's any like idiosyncrasies of the New York system that would uh, where it would favor like the you know the person with the most counties or the rural or, 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 or the uh, oh, uh, urban yeah, candidate. Yeah. Probably the urban candidate gets all the votes. So, I mean, that's that. But you got to yeah, win New York well, City, it, huh? Yeah, no, you definitely have to win New York City to um, – well, that's the. Yeah, I, I forget the exact breakdown, but it's something like he said. He said eighteen million is the population of the state, and I believe you know in the city plus the immediate area and then like out the Long Island stuff. You're talking about ten to twelve million of those are in the, the city area. So you've got to um, win New York. He's from Queens, though. He's from Queens. That sounds like well, yeah, a winner. No, that's it's interesting because, like, I I think in I think if we look at the past. Uh, I don't know. I would have to dig this up. The past libertarian candidates in New York, I bet, have done well in places like Buffalo and uh, in upstate New York because that's kind of a – it's a less socially conservative, more fiscally conservative sort of Republican in that area. I used to have so a it, friend it, who lived in Red Hook, and it was like – he was hmm. as conservative as they get, and there was a lot of them up there hmm. like that, you know. It was almost like a John Burr Society type guys up there in uh, North right, New York. Right. But the question well, is I'm if he can win Queens. I'm thinking about the similar split we have here in Wisconsin uh, between Milwaukee and the rest of the state. Where we actually do have the original John Birchers here. They're in Appleton, Wisconsin, the John Birch Society. But, yeah, I don't know. It'll, be, it'll certainly be interesting. 
watch to see uh, how that race plays out and also how um, how it ends up working out for the down ticket. Andy, yeah, you're and on the national. Uh, you're I, on the national uh, committee somehow. You're related to LNC, aren't you? Are you on the LNC? No, no, I'm not on the national committee. I'm on the uh, bylaws committee um, oh, and, and the platform. Actually, I bet both of them. But um, but that's yeah. So basically, we're we're reviewing the changes that will come up in New Orleans at the 2018 convention, and we'll be proposing the the various changes to the uh, to one does one does for the bylaws and the others for the platform. But I'm not on the national committee myself now. So at the time yeah. that our, well, our convention is held, is is uh, is is the is Larry still going to be running for governor? The governor yeah. race in New York is after our convention, right? That's right. Yeah, no, it'll be a few months after our our convention is July fourth, and it's a uh, regular November at least same time as the congressional elections. That's no, wonderful. Well, good deal. Who's yeah, hard to well, see y'all down here in New Orleans if the floods ever stop? Yeah, well, here's one of the things that I that I liked about um, Larry's talk tonight on the on the program. He was saying that um, he 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 wasn't one of these guys. And I've heard libertarians say this: "I'm going to win, and I'm going to it's going to be a landslide because I'm only running against a Republican, or I'm only running against a Democrat." And Larry was was very forthright and honest about. What he, how he was going to win, and he said, "I'm not. We're not going to win with 51 percent of the vote. We're, we're we're going to win in the 30s." And you know, you have to look at it realistically. And and I think he's doing that. And when you start out from a realistic standpoint, but yet you say, "I can still win," um, I think he has a really good shot at it. He inspires confidence. Yeah, no, he, yeah. He, uh, he thinks he can. I think I think it's good, and we'll uh, we'll see what comes of it. Yes, well, Andy, switching gears a little bit because we talked about this before you got on, and I want to get your opinion before we go. Um, I've been seeing a lot of articles today about Rex Tillerson not being happy with the Russia sanctions, and I posted a status message. I said, "Well, it looks like Rex Tillerson will be next." Um, what do you make of all that? Uh, oh, what well, I didn't quite catch. I haven't seen it myself. Rex Tillerson was upset. Uh, what about the either the Russian, but like the investigation or the sanctions bill Congress passed? No, he's 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 upset about the sanctions bill. Basically, from what I read, he has said that we shouldn't cut Russia off completely over the um, the election meddling. I mean, it's foolish. Oh, yeah. Well, if that, I mean, I think he that probably shores him up. If anything, because that's what Trump would want uh, to hear and have him saying, and that's what kind of message Trump has been. Um, but I have heard a lot of other stuff about Rex Tillerson being, you know, not happy with Trump and how it's going and getting sidelined and that sort of thing. Um, I mean, it's hard to kind of judge the rumor mill. This is. You know, I don't. There's probably eight dozen articles about how everybody in the Trump administration is going to resign. So we'll see. But I, yeah, if I had to pick a cabinet member who's going to go first, I would say it's probably Rex. Yeah, um, I I don't know how long Kelly's going to be there, but I guarantee you Kelly will be out at some point as well because, you know, I don't know much about Kelly, 
but I he from what I see he's a no nonsense kind of guy and you can't be a mm-hmm. no nonsense kind of guy and be in the room with Trump for any length of time without calling bullshit. <laughs> yeah, and he doesn't like people that that, that fight with him. You know, I mean, any kind of integrity person is going to stand up and fight for what they believe in. And, you know, and you got to have them. If you're going to be any kind of leader, you're going to have to have some true points of view that you can depend on. And, and you know, you can't fire everybody that tells you something that you don't like. You know, so that doesn't look good for the old Trumpsters. Yeah. So, anyway, well, we we have had a great show tonight. We had, we had Larry Sharp on and probably had our biggest listening audience yet, so we owe him a great deal for that. Um, and uh, it was great. Sorry, Jeff Cleb couldn't be here with us tonight, but um, we will be back again uh, at the end of the month with another great guest. So, guys, thanks for coming on, and we'll do it again soon. Great right. show, Joe. Good, Good job. All right. Thanks for Take getting care, Larry. On, thanks for getting Larry on the show. That was a good poll there. If we got a great guest, mm-hmm. keep him coming. Yes. All right. Talk to you guys later. All right. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate you, That's brother. Good.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.